0: The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Psalm number 50, and uh, this is a, a psalm of thanksgiving, and I want you to notice at the top, I want you to notice a particular uh, heading here, if you will, and uh, look at the top. Before the verse, before verse number one, what do you see there? What does it say there in your Bible? A psalm of Asaph. I want us to take a moment and think about this man Asaph. And uh, it's going to be very important for us to understand as we jump into this today. Asaph was a, a music leader. In fact, he was the music leader for David, uh, for David's choirs. Uh, he was a man that was counted on to, to stand and to, to prepare uh, music. We would sometimes in today's uh, day call this a worship leader, but in reality he was really a, a man who just led choirs, led music to be used in the services and in the worship of God's people uh, toward God. So he was a, a, a key individual. Uh, Asaph, his name comes up multiple times in the Old Testament. And uh, he's a very intriguing man. This is the first time that we have one of his psalms being used, uh, uh, being accredited to him as uh, one that he wrote, a song that he wrote, a challenge that he wrote. And so here it is that we find in Psalm uh, number 50, really the heart of Asaph coming out for God's people. Now I want you to just think about this for a moment. Asaph was the man who multiple times would stand in front of all of God's people and would welcome them to, to invite them to sing praise to God. So he would have seen their faces. Uh, in fact, uh, if you just uh, go with me for a moment, it's interesting as people gather in, everyone has a little bit different way of entering into a service. Everyone has a little bit different uh, face that, uh, that, that they're kind of their the status quo face. Everyone's a little bit different. Some people are beaming some people are very you know very contemplative Uh, some people uh, look like you know maybe they they ate something that isn't agreeing with them well for breakfast you know how that goes you know and some we just have all different but Asaph would have seen all of that right he would have seen the countenances of God's people he would have seen the countenances of of the choir As he gathered them together and as they they rehearsed, he would have even known the two choir members that didn't get along with each other, he saw that too. Like, he he saw all of this. Asaph was in that position. He was a leader of David's choir. It didn't end with Asaph, though. Asaph's descendants are mentioned many times in the Old Testament. You find the sons of Asaph mentioned. They were leaders... And you find them mentioned in Ezra and also in Nehemiah and other places as being uh, uh, continuing in the ministry of music and bringing God's people together and singing praise to God. Uh, They were involved in both the first temple and the second temple's music ministry, if you will so he himself left such a legacy and, and and obviously a delight in what he did for the lord that it passed down to his children they enjoyed this as well and it, it was a legacy of leading Music leading praise, encouraging God's people to sing. We find in 1 Chronicles 6 and verse 39, and his brother Asaph stood on his right hand, even Asaph, the son of Berechiah, the son of Shimei. He was involved in the music ministry right there in First Chronicles. As we come to Psalm number 50, this is the first time that God allows for Asaph's peace to be put into the Psalms for you and I to enjoy and to learn from. Psalm 73 through Psalm 83, are also attributed to Asaph. So he had uh, this opportunity in Scripture, under inspiration of God, to give us challenges in song uh, that are very helpful to us. He was skilled in music, along with David. The Bible helps us to see that in 2 Chronicles 29, uh, and in other places. Uh, He was recognized, interesting enough, he was recognized as a seer. That's not a word we use often today, but that, that denoted a prophet, someone who was used to, to speak the truth of God's word, to speak forth God's word, and to really have insight into the future. So this, this man, not only was he leading choirs and in, involved in music, he had a heart for God. He was able to communicate the truth of God's word in messages to God's people, even through song. So Asaph was a man that we should be aware of, especially in this matter of Thanksgiving. I want to put it to you this way: Asaph would have been personally keenly attuned to the attitude of worship in God's people. He would have sensed it when they gathered together. He would have he would have been able to see it in their countenances. He would have been able to hear it in their voices as they lifted up their song, their voices in song. He would have been able to know, hey, they're either uh, they're either struggling today or they're really they're really giving God worship from their hearts. They're praising God with song from their hearts. He would have seen that. He would have stood in front of them and been able to observe that. But what Asaph deals with in Psalm number 50, which we'll read in just a few moments, Asaph was noticing something in God's people that they had allowed their worship of God in their corporate gatherings to become very formalistic. So as they gathered together for the the sacrifices and for the singing, he was noticing that they were just going through the routine, They they were doing the act of sacrifice, and then going on, throughout the rest of their lives, unfazed, unmoved by that sacrifice. They were not living in light of that sacrifice. And so he's calling out in this, in this situation, he is calling out the formalism that had crept into God's people. And it's a formalism that God knows can creep into our lives as well. We go through the routine. We go through the motions. We know what to do, but is our heart truly in it? And as a music leader, as a man with a heart for God, Asaph looked at God's people and said, no, no, you're you're missing the point. You're missing what God really has for you and what God desires from you. And so Israel had come to a place where they're offering the sacrifices out of routine and out of ritual. Ritual. You say we don't offer sacrifices today no but we do still offer the sacrifice of praise we do sacrifice our lives we do sacrifice our talents we do sacrifice our time and all these things can become routine and ritual they had five different sacrifices that they were uh, that they would give in the old testament five main ones and my point is not to to explain all these that's for another time but the burnt offering was an offering of absolute and total dedication. They, they gave uh, the, the full sacrifice. It was all burned up before God. It denoted that it, it, on the part of the offerer that he was saying, I, I know that I need to give everything back to God. The grain offering was an offering that was a supplement to that and added to that devotion. It was just an extra token on top of it. Here is a living sacrifice, if you will, the burnt offering being a dying sacrifice, the grain offering being a living sacrifice. I give of what is mine, what you've given to me, what you've blessed me with, I give it as an act of devotion. The peace offering is one that we'll talk about. It included the Thanksgiving offering. It was one, again, that was offered in conjunction with the burnt offering. Again, adding an idea or a, a... an expression of devotion back to God. The last two offerings were the sin offering and the trespass offering. The sin offering was one that looked forward to the substitutionary death that Jesus would die on the cross. Part of the sin offering was offered outside of the camp. Does that not sound familiar? Can you run ahead with me to Calvary? And Jesus died on the cross outside of Jerusalem, and it was a picture and they offered that over and over for their sins, though the um, blood of bulls and goats could not atone for their sin. It covered their sin, all looking forward to the day where the perfect Lamb of God would one day shed his, cro- uh, his, um, uh, his, his blood and His body there on the cross and once and for all, once and for all, completely take away our sins. What an amazing, amazing thing. The trespass offering was again dealt with more specific sin that required restitution. So they would offer this, whereas the sin offering dealt with more general, the the sinfulness, if you will, what Jesus completely paid for at the cross, right? The trespass offering was specific instances of trespassing against God or others where restitution needed to be made. So they were sacrificing in a temple like this, Solomon's um, temple, also in the tabernacle, they were sacrificing over and over as a foreshadowing, as a precursor to what Jesus Christ would accomplish and what we would do spiritually in this, in this dispensation. It was a picture. And what God does not do to the, the believers or to his people in that day, he did not come to him and say, Stop offering. But what he did come and say, hey, you have begun to allow your offerings to become rote and habit, and you're not living in light of the offering that you're offering. And it's a danger that you and I can go into a week like this where our country has a semblance of thanksgiving, and we can say, we're going to offer to God praise, but really not it not be real, it not be, it not be genuine from our hearts, it not be heartfelt, it be just something that, well, this is what we do. We come to church, we sing songs and praise to God, well, this is just what we do. So with all that in mind, I want us to read Psalm number 50, and I want us to read it in its entirety. Would you stand with me this morning? Psalm number 50. The Bible says, a psalm of Asaph, verse number one, the mighty God, even the Lord, (laughs) aren't you thankful he's mighty? Even the Lord, Jehovah, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence, A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above to the earth that he may judge his people, that he might hold them to account. Verse number five, gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness for God is judge himself, Selah. I want you just to pause there like the psalmist told us to pause. Selah is a a word, a musical word of pause. Think about that. God is judge. I want you to think about that right now. In our world of chaos, and all that you see is going against God's truth, is it not good to pause and remember God is judge? Is that not good? Praise the Lord. God is judge. Let's move on. The judge is going to speak. Hear, O O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against thee, I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices. Notice that. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I'm not going to tell you you were doing the wrong thing. Those offerings that you keep offering and you consistently offering, you're doing the right act. You're doing what I told you to do. But he goes on. I will take no bullock out of thy house. We're talking about cattle. Nor he go out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. That's where we get that. God owns a cattle upon a thousand hills. Right there, that's where we get it. They all belong to him. He's saying, I'm not going to take them away from you. Verse 11, I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry... I would not tell thee. Can that be any clearer? God does not need to come knocking on your door if he's hungry. He is self-sufficient. Isn't that great? He is self-sufficient. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. I wish, I wish we would understand that in our hearts. I wish our world would understand that. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? These are some great questions. He's basically saying, you're offering all these sacrifices to me. Do I really need your dead animal? Do I need the food that you're going to bring to me? Do I need the peace offering where you're going to share a meal with me, your God? Do I really need this? If I'm hungry, I'm not coming to you and I'm not going to tell you that I'm hungry. I don't need this. You're missing the point. You're looking just at the act itself and missing the whole point of it. Verse 14 is what God says. Here's the remedy. Offer unto thy God thanksgiving and pay thy vow unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Okay, that's what he says. There's a solution. But I want us to notice what he goes on to say. He says in verse 16, but unto the wicked, those that don't heed my word, those that turn away this admonition, what hast thou? to do, to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seest thou hatest instruction and casteth away behind my, uh, uh, my words behind thee? When thou sawest a thief, then thou can, uh, consentest uh, with him and hast been a partaker with adulterers. You've just gone on and sinned. You offered a sacrifice and you went on and sinned. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, and thou slanderest thine own mother's son. You're, you're, even, you're going as far as to say false things and hurtful things against your own family. Verse 21. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, (laughs) allow your life to fall apart, and there be none to deliver. Now notice what he wraps up with. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. And to him that ordereth his conversation, his life, his lifestyle aright, Will I show the salvation, the deliverance of God? I want you to ask God with me to help dawn this upon our heart. Would you pray? Lord, spiritual truth requires the Holy Spirit uh, to illuminate. And I pray in each one of our lives uh, that we would be still and know that you're God in this moment. And that you would allow us to understand your truth and what it means for us specifically, our personal lives. And Lord, uh, may we heed the instruction, heed the instruction even during this week, and may our lives uh, reflect you all the more because of it. So be our teacher, and right now we ask in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. The grand thing about God's Word is when we heed it, it, always it always will produce satisfaction in our relationship with Him. Now I ask you as, we, as we've gathered in this place to give full attention to the Word of God. I believe the Word of God uh, should be respected. and I believe the Word of God should be given attention and Perhaps perhaps you might be inclined to talk with uh, one another, but I encourage you to give attention to God's word. The Bible helps us understand here that God is requiring something of us in this place. God's requiring something of us. And this is important for us to to contemplate because if we're going to please God, we need to do what he desires. We need to follow after him. And so I would just say this morning as we look at this, Ask yourself, what does God require of me? Put yourself in that situation. Don't don't look at it just as what does God require of us as a church, but what does God require of me? What does God require of my life this week? And I want you to notice what Asaph brought out to them as the people of Israel. Individually, God desired this. God desired, first of all, look at verse number 14, that there would be a simple attitude of gratitude. And I'll say that, I mean, those are, that's kind of a pithy way to say it. You know, it gets thrown around, an attitude of gratitude. But honestly, God is saying to his people, I see your offerings, I see your sacrifices, I see everything you're doing, and what I really want from you, I want you just to be thankful. I want you just to be thankful Offer unto God thanksgiving. No gift. No gift can take the place of simple gratitude, one man said. No gift can take the simple place of of gratitude. In your life, you might be inclined to give gifts and, boy, as a way to, to show your love for somebody, but sometimes just a simple thank you can go a very, very long way. Too often we're like the family who, uh, who neglected their queenly mother for many, many years and did not pay much attention to her and did not show much gratitude uh, toward her. But after her death, they tried to atone for their thanklessness towards her by dressing her in a $2,000 dress. Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Right now. In front of the people that you have, towards your God, thankfulness. God says, offer unto me, offer unto God, thanksgiving, this thank offering. Remember, we were talking about the peace offering. Along with that offering, or in that category of offerings, was this, this offering of thanksgiving, this offering of praise back to God. It was made out of thanksgiving, a thankful heart. That was God's intention, that it would be made out of a thankful heart back to God. Leviticus 22 and verse number 29, it says, and when uh, ye will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it at thine own will. Now notice that, offer it at thine own will. And so he says, listen, I want you to realize, I want you to realize how important it is for you to come, but I want it to be from your heart. I don't want it to be something I said, you, you, you thank me. Thank me for saving your soul. Thank me for giving you breath today. Thank me for allowing you to walk through this life. Thank me. And now God says, I want you to offer this Israelites. I want you to offer it, dear believer, from a willing heart. Uh, Can you imagine, uh, just for a moment, you have children, and can you imagine with me, if you don't, just imagine with me for a moment, if if every time they did something, or that you did something for them, you had to come along and say, hey, now I want you to give, give me thanks for that. Isn't it a blessing when they begin to give thanks back to you on their own? Don't you know you have turned a curve in your, in your child raising when they give thanks to you on, your, on their own? When they say, Thank you, mom and dad, for feeding me. Thank you for having food on the table. Thank you for allowing me to have a room. Thank you for giving me blankets. Thank you. And, and we're there giving that as, an, as a willing sacrifice or a willing offering back to you. So here, what God is saying, listen, I want you to do this from your heart. This week, every week, every day, God wants your offering of thanksgiving from your heart. From your heart. Now, what's interesting about these offerings, though, the thank offering and the offering of vows was, was something that they participated in and they shared a meal with God, with the priest and with God. So they shared in a part of this offering. And they partook of what they brought to God themselves. So the idea of sharing it with God is kind of a, a phenomenal thought. But what it was teaching the Israelites and what it helps us understand when we give thanksgiving back to God, we literally enter into a fellowship with God that is second to none. And when we do thanksgiving by rote, we miss that. But they were to be coming before God and they were to be enjoying his goodness with him and giving thanks back to him and enjoying that fellowship Do you realize God longs for that from his people he longs for that that is what he created Adam and Eve to do he created Adam and Eve for for pleasure for for his glory to be able to fellowship together and to enjoy that together for them to be able to enjoy his goodness and for God to be able to enjoy watching his creation enjoy his goodness and give thanks back to him it was supposed to be this cycle of thanksgiving and fellowship together And when we offer thanksgiving truly from our hearts, we enter into a fellowship with God that is so blessed. You know, sometimes I I watch it, especially in those who have just been revived. They've had a revival moment with God. They've come back to God. They've realized His grace, though they've walked away. They realize His grace... Or in a new believer, to see the heart level thankfulness back to God, the thanksgiving back to God. And it's this, this joyous, like this wide eyed, like, wow, God is so good. I thank Him. And it comes from the heart. That is what God is after. He wants that, and He wants us to be able to share that together with Him. They did in the Old Testament, that, that's what God designed. And so I ask you today, is there gratitude in your heart? Are you sharing that with God? Is that that a fellowship that you're having with God? Did you wake up today? Was there anything that you gave thanks back to God for and you enjoyed fellowshipping with him and his goodness towards you? Let's think about it. Our salvation. We go there by rote. But friends, do you realize, now therefore there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You are not going to hell because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Wow. Like, I mean, that's amazing. It doesn't matter how good of a home you grew up in or how much of a messed up life you lived. It doesn't matter. Christ saved us all from the same eternal destiny. Hell. Amazing. Justification. We think about it in a different way. To be made right before God. To be like we did. De- we illustrated last week, to have God take all of our sin out of our file and to put it on the cross and for him to take Christ's righteousness and place that in our file and positionally we're justified, we're made right before God. Amazing. Sanctification. (laughs) that He takes fleshly people like us, saved by grace, and he changes us day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't give up. When we resist... When we take a step back, when we trip and we fall, he doesn't give up. The indwelling Holy Spirit. Have you stopped and thanked God for the fact that the Spirit indwells you and he prompts you to do this, but don't do that. And by the way, you're mine. And I want you to know that I'm coming back for you again. And that word, that verse you just read, that's for you today. The indwelling Holy Spirit, he's a comforter, he's he's an illuminator of all truth to us, he's a teacher, and then we have the the last words of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, three times Jesus comes and says to us, Behold, I come quickly, and he he announces to us that you as a believer don't just have me dwelling with you everywhere you go, but you have the blessed hope that I'm coming again. (laughs) Three times, Behold, I come quickly. comfort of the Spirit, the intercession of Christ. He prayed for you today. He prayed for you today. By name. He took time to voice you before the Father. I don't know what he prayed for you. I imagine a lot of his prayer was like what he prayed in John 17. Lord, keep them from this world. Guard them. I'm not taking them out of the world because I, I put in, a, in, in in just every day. Because I need them there. But while they're there, I, I pray, Lord, that you'd protect them from imbibing the culture that will, will breach our relationship and our fellowship. Lord, I I pray that you'll help Satan not to sift them or help them not to be sifted as wheat, to be shaken up and thrown about by everything the tempter wants to do in their lives, he intercedes for us. He gives us confidence. Confidence in him. Yes, of our eternal eternal home, but confidence that we're his. And nothing the world can do Nothing Satan can do or any man can do can uh, separate us from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And later on in the psalm, Asaph ends with says, whosoever gives praise to God, gives glory to him. We have so much to be grateful for. You could write down this afternoon, you could write down right now the different things that you have to be grateful for. And you realize our spiritual blessings that God has given to us are far greater far more worth giving praise back to God. God blessed us with physical things. Praise the Lord. But there are so many intangible things that God has blessed us with as believers that sets us apart from everyone else in the world. Praise God. So Asaph is saying, listen, we're not not telling you to stop sacrificing, but we're telling you, would you make sure that you offer to God an offering of thanksgiving? He doesn't stop there. Offer unto God... This offering of thanksgiving, but pay your vows before the Most High. Pay your vows. What Asaph is getting at is the context of thankfulness. Or say it this way: the a, a grateful heart is the context in which all of the worship of our lives is to be given from. Because that's exactly what he gets at with this idea of vows. It's what I owe back to God. I owe him worship. I owe him giving him glory. And in the context of a grateful heart, and really it's very difficult without a grateful heart because you miss all of this. You miss the fact that, that your worship to God is important and required. So the, the, the grateful heart is this, is this context from which I should just live out a life of worship. So he says, pay thy vows. Now again, the word offer, the word pay, These are commands. God is telling you and I, and we have a choice whether to follow through or not, they're commands. Offer thanksgiving. Lord, I want to offer thanksgiving in obedience to you from my heart. He says, pay thy vows. Lord, I want to pay my vows. I want to live a life of sustained worship. That's what Asaph is talking about. Not just the act of sacrifice and then going on my way, but the act of sacrifice, yes, Lord, you are so good to me. Your love is overwhelming. I don't deserve your love. And from that sacrifice of praise, walking my Monday, my Tuesday, my Wednesday in worship to God. We have so convoluted the idea of worship and we have put it inside of a room, we have put it inside of a box, and we put it inside of music. But worship is to be rendered every moment of our day. I am to live a life of worship. It is impossible, in fact, for you to truly worship God in here if you are not living a life of worship. You live a life that is geared towards the world and then come in here and try to sing praises to God, you're going to say, this is the deadest thing ever. You're going to say, this isn't worth my time. And, and, and frankly, you're, in, in some ways, you waste your time by trying to just come in here and, and contribute in the act of worship, in the sacrifice of worship in this moment. You're doing exactly what the Israelites did. I can come in here. I am doing my act of worship right here. But I don't live a life of worship. I don't live a life of pleasing God the rest of the six days of the week. So he says, pay your vows, deliver this up. This is what you owe back to a God that loves you so very much. And Israel was guilty of offering the expected sacrifice as an end, not a beginning. They looked at the sacrifice, the sin a- sacrifice. Check, I did that. Now I can go live the way I want. There's some religions that, that capitalize on that very idea right there. You go, confess, and then live the way that you want. That is not God, and it's not Bible. He doesn't want that from us. They had gotten to the point where they looked at it just, well, I I need to offer this sacrifice, I need to offer this sacrifice, and I need to offer this sacrifice. And in offering those sacrifices, I've done my duty before God, I've worshipped him, and I can go living my life the way I want. Out of a thankful heart, we're to live a life of worship. In fact, if you will, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 11. Would you turn back there with me? Isaiah chapter number 1 and verse 11. And I want you to catch what Israel is given by this prophet Isaiah and what God is saying back to them. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Isaiah 1 and verse number 11. To what purpose is your multitude of sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? Can we just stop for a moment and make that personal to what purpose is your multiple church services? Unto me, saith the Lord. To what purpose is your multiple times of opening up your Bible and reading it, saith the Lord? In what purpose is your multiple times of saying in rote, God is good? To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices before me? We're doing what God said, and look what he goes on to say I am full of thy burnt offerings of rams, and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks, or of lambs, or of he goats. When ye come unto appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread in my courts? Bring no more vain, empty oblations, these sacrifices. Incense is an abomination unto me. New moons and Sabbaths and calling of assemblies I cannot away with. It is iniquity. Even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. I have gotten to the point I despise them. They they are a trouble unto me. I'm weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make your prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. What's God saying to his people? You've sacrificed but you've not lived in light of this sacrifice. The rest of your life isn't worship. You've sacrificed as an act of worship, but you aren't living out worship. You're not living unto me. You can go into the assembly, lift up your hands and pray to God, but then you pass the widow on the street who has nothing, and society has completely rejected her and not provided for her, and you just go on your merry way and and turn the the other way. Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Why does God put passages of scripture like this for us to read? He said, because I've given you the Old Testament specific, because I, I, I'm given to you as an example. I want you to learn from this. You know, we as New Testament believers still can do this exact thing. We can, we can gather together, sing praise to God, and we can walk out and totally bypass something that God would have us to do. He says, "What good is your worship? What good is that song? Oh, worship the King, all glorious above. You sing that, but you don't take care of somebody." I I said, "Take care of." Uh, You you go indulge in sin. Your hands are bloody. You you you've said wrong things. You you said gossip. You worship God in the sanctuary, but you walked out and gossiped about another believer. They were not to just come merely with these offerings and then feel that the purpose of their offering was accomplished. They were to carry out the true design of those offerings by lives corresponding with the idea intended by the offerings, lives full of penitence, gratitude, love, obedience, submission, devotion. This, only this, was acceptable worship. We have so compartmentalized our Christianity that we have our Sunday deal and then the rest of our week deal. And that is exactly to what God is speaking through Asaph, the, the, the music leader of a congregation saying, listen, enough's enough. Let's, let's all make sure that we are living lives of worship to God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and living it out. You know, so often we can get in this rote, the exact rote I mentioned reading our Bibles. Do You realize if you just simply open up your Bible, well, I gotta get through this today, and uh, because it's right, it's spiritual to read through my Bible this much. And it just becomes a rote. Is God honored with that? When we, well, I've read this, but we didn't live it. Wouldn't it be far better for us to go to the word of God and say, God, speak to me today. And whatever you tell me, I'm going to live in light of that. Isn't that worship? Isn't that what God wants? Isn't that what God is trying to do in our nation right now to bring Christians to their knees to a point where it's not just this rote that we just go through? Now we're actually having to be conscious before we come to a service because we know it's not the popular thing to do. God's stirring us up. God's working our lives. He's, he's going to be changing us. He's going to bring some, some, uh, some turbulence into our lives to cause us not to just be going through rote. Rote. I've prayed, but I don't stay in communication the rest of the day. I said my, my ritualistic prayer in the morning or before a meal, and then I go the rest of the day, and I don't talk to God. You see how easy we can get into this exact mentality? I pass out a gospel track. I have a heart for souls. You no, know, Jesus had a compassion that when he saw souls, listen, when he saw people Writhing in their sin. He wept. You know how many times we, we pass by people? We say, Lord, give me a heart for souls. I pass out a gospel track. I, I'm a, I'm a witnesser. Well, how many times we, we pass people who are writhing in their sin? They, they smell of sin. They talk of sin. And we go, oh, what is this world come into? Why don't people just do right? rather than having the heart of Christ that looks at a person like that, oh God would you say their soul there's, there's a person I'm praying for that's in this plat got to meet her out on, uh, when we were passing out some flyers and it's obvious that Satan has a grip on her life seems like every time I pass by there's more and more more and more signs around her house that indicate the grip of Satan on her life i pass by I pray lord please save her please save her now i i just say that it, it's not just about well I, I put a tract on her door we need to get to the point where we where, where the souls of lost people all around us gripping our hearts where well, we're living that it's not just about i put in my hour But I'm living it through my whole life where where I go to the store and I'm living it. Where I go, anywhere I go, I'm living this out. Don't you see? This is what God was getting at with his people. You, you, You do an act of sacrifice, but you live like it doesn't matter. So God desires the offer to live out his life in the spirit of the sacrifice. The Bible tells us in Romans 12 and verse number one that based on all that God has done for us, we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice unto God, wholly acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable service, our, the logical response to everything that God has done for us is, I love you, and I want to give my life for you. Well, that's, that's worship. That's worship. When you tell God, my life is yours, my hands are off of it. My life is yours. Whatever you want me to do. I don't care if you change my career. I don't care if you change my uh, geographic location. I don't care if you change where I worship. I don't care anything. I, all I care is that I'm doing your will. Amen. That requires spiritual resolve to live a life of worship. It's easy to act out worship. It's another thing to live out worship. And what Asaph is calling on them to do is to worship God in their whole living, a continual sustained worship. If you go over here to the piano, I'm not a piano player, but there's a pedal there that is, as I understand, is called a sustaining pedal or something along that line. That's the general idea. You press that down and the note doesn't stop. You can play that note and it sustains the sound. Listen, your acts of sacrifice, your Tying together here ought to be similar to this. I, I, I hit that note, press that pedal, and that goes with me the rest of my, my, my living. That just continues on. The sound that comes from that moment just continues on. That's what God is asking of us. So worship is not, does not begin and end with a sacrifice. Worship does not begin and end with a church service. Worship is to be 24 seven. It's to be sustained out of a heart of gratitude. That's what God's asking of us. The hymn writer put it this way in the song, Mercies of God, for the mercies so great, what return can I make for mercies so constant and sure? I'll love him, I'll serve him, with all that I have as long as my life shall endure. Sustained worship. So simple gratitude, that's the heart. Out of that sustained worship where it's just, it is, it's affecting everywhere I go. It's affecting my daily life. But I want you to catch this, God goes further and he wants to share something with us. He wants us to realize that we are in constant need of him. And by the way, at this point, I think if we consider the idea of living out a life of worship, I realize how much I need God, because I don't have the ability to do that on my own. You ever gone through a very difficult situation, and you did it on your own? Uh, it was it was difficult. You didn't know who to call, or you didn't want to call who you knew to call and you went through it on your own, only to share that same story later, and someone tell you something along this, this lines: you should have called me. You should have called me. Have any of you ever had someone say, you should have called me? I have. You should have called me. And it's a little bit of a rebuke. I, I want to help you, but you should have called me. You know God, many times in our lives, as we're struggling through, you should have called me. Notice what he says in verse number 15. He tells us, And call upon me, I'm going back to my spot, where in the world am I, and call upon me in the day of trouble, verse number 15, and call upon me, again, a command, call upon me, and notice what he's asking for, I want you from your heart, everything we're talking about is from the heart, this isn't just about rituals and routines, this is from the heart, I want a sincere dependence. I require of you, I desire of you, a sincere dependence. I want you to call upon me in the day of trouble. I want you to make an appeal. By the way, in your, uh, in your bulletin you received on the way in, uh, through a question that was asked to me this week, I uh, just wrote down some simple thoughts about, do we pray too much? Can we pray too much? I want you to think about that later as you read that. Don't read it now. Think about the fact of the matter is, God wants to hear your voice. And don't allow Satan to rob that from you. He right here is saying, I want you to call upon me whenever. I want you to call upon me all the time. I want you to call upon me in the day specifically of trouble, in the day of distress, in the day of physical, mental, social, economic distress. I want you to call upon me. I want you to call upon me when the wicked Psalm 2 are raging and desiring a vain thing like they can control something they can't see. I want you to call upon me. I want you to call upon me when when your life is turned upside down, when your career is turned upside down. I want you to call upon me. I want you to call upon me when your relationships aren't working the way you thought they ought to work. I want you to call upon me. I want you to call upon me in the day of distress. And I want us to remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Well, God doesn't want to hear from me about this. This is too trivial. No, really? He actually told us we don't have a high priest in Jesus Christ which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities with our human inadequacies. <laughs> with my human inadequacies, my, my, my propensities. He went through it all, friends. He went through it all. He faced it all for you and I. He says, I I know them. I I personally experienced them. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. He didn't trip up, and he is a high priest, a God that understands intrinsically what we go through. And on that context, he says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy what we do not deserve, and find grace, his goodness, his undeserved favor, showered upon us to help in time of need. That's our God. Well, I, I don't know if I should bring this to the Lord. Try him. He longs to see his children dependent upon him. Do you not find a special blessing in your children being dependent upon you? Okay, maybe not when they're 30, uh, 33 years old, all right? You want to go, go have your own children be, and have them be dependent on you. You understand what I mean. There's a time where that, but don't you, don't you even in your older children love it when they call and ask your opinion? I, I hear that's ringing a bell. Yeah. Yes, right? Because there, there's something sweet. I've experienced this before and I can help you get through this part of your life. And our God desires that same spirit. Psalm 103 and verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembers we're but dust. He knows what we're made of. He says, come, come. So in this whole context, he's saying, you guys have gotten so formalistic, you're just looking at the act of sacrifice and you're not living out worship in the rest of your life. But what I'm asking Give me, give me thanksgiving, that's what I wanna hear. I'm not just worried about the dead animal on the, off, uh, on the altar. I want to hear you say thank you for my blessings and my, my constant goodness in your life, and I want you to live out your life in worship to me, and I want you to know that I want you to be dependent on me. I want you to call. What do you need to talk to God today about? You say, well, I can do this on my own. And maybe you're saying that because you don't think God wants to hear about it. God wants to hear about it. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Do you believe that? Or is that just some relic of history back in Jeremiah that, you know, that was good for them, but that's not good for me? No, God wants you to call unto him so he can show you his might and his power. It's gratitude. Opening up into a life of worship. Realizing, God, I need you so very much, so much that I call upon you all the time. But I want you to know, and perhaps the most beautiful part of this, what he was offering to his people again was legitimately a revival of enjoying their relationship with God. Can I ask you a question? Are you enjoying your relationship with God? Got to go to church. Got to serve God. Have you lost the joy of your relationship? I want you to let that sink in for a minute. This just becomes something we do because this is what we do. Have you lost your joy? What God wants you to enjoy is this this sacred joy fellowship, this sacred enjoyment with him. Something the world cannot give you, something a piece of technology cannot give you, something that, understand this in the right context, but something that your spouse can't give you if you're not having with God. Your marriage was meant to be, be a a, a fellowship of three where you're focused on God individually, and as you focus on God individually, it draws you closer together, and you will find greater enjoyment in your marriage as you find greater enjoyment in God. And so, God is saying to his people, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. What is he saying? You called, you realize you're dependent as you're trying to live for me, and you called on me, and I will deliver you. I will rescue you. That's his promise. I will rescue you. I will save you. I will lift you up from destruction. The the world, the flesh, the devil have determined destruction against you, but I will come through, and I will deliver you. That's our God talking there. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. What will he do? I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Deliverance. Romans 10 and verse number 13, if you'll realize today that you're a sinner and you deserve the penalty of your sin before a holy God, he says, call on him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved from an eternity in hell. What a better offer! Cast thy burden upon the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Lord, I'm so burdened down with anxiety and with worry and fear and angst against those that are doing bad things in our society. And he says, I want you to come to me, call upon me, give it back to me, and I'll sustain you, I'll deliver you, I'll help you through. That's our God, that's his promise. What's the response? And you'll glorify me. When you see my goodness on full display, you will have nothing to do but to respond with, thank you, Lord. To glorify, to acknowledge, to recognize. I think that's part of our problems. We don't recognize the goodness of God in our lives. Then to esteem that. Say, God, you're so good, better than anyone else to me. You are so good, and we glorify him in prayer. We talk back to him. Thank you, Lord, for this, and we begin to notice all that He is doing and fulfilling His promise to us on a daily basis, not a weekly or monthly or yearly basis, a daily basis. Glory and testimony. Did you hear? Do you know what God did for me today? Do you know how He worked in me spiritually? Do you know how He changed my perspective? Begin to testify it to those around you, to those at work. Do you know that as we begin to realize the goodness of God, it'll change the way that we even correspond with those that we work with. Begin to talk about God more. We glorify Him in song. Psalm 69, verse 30. Listen, do you realize that we glorify Him in song out of a life of... a heart of thankfulness, out of a life of worship, out of a, a, a prayer life of total dependence on Him? It's then that we can say... I just have to sing. And then we sing in the shower and sing on the way to work, in the car, where no one else can hear us, but we sing at the top of our lungs. You know what I'm saying? Like, crank it up, I gotta gotta sing. Whether or not my voice sounds good, I I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 69, verse number 30. I, I, I just have to sing. And you know what God desires? Is a real relationship with you. Well, you don't know me. I'm on God's blacklist. No, no, no. God wants a, desire, a, a relationship with you. You have not gone too far. If you still are breathing this morning, you have not gone too far. He wants a relationship with you. He created you for relationship. Sin it, And the flesh gets in the way. But he wants a relationship with you. One that resol- results in a sacred enjoyment. Do you know it is possible for believers to enjoy their relationship with God? We have gotten so far away from what God expects us to be living out in this life. Now, we we look, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Why not, while we walk with him here on earth, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Can it not be enjoyed right now? Yes, Psalm 16 and verse 11, thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence, in thy presence, which is possible through the Holy Spirit's indwelling in our lives. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right now, God expects for us to be enjoying him. First John is written to believers. Begin to wonder, am I God's? Do I belong to him? I've sinned. What do I do with that? And God says, I've written this whole book to you so that your joy could be full. So that you could enjoy me. Full joy. And so we ask the question, what does God want from me? Your sacrifice? Yeah, they have their place and we should obey and we should give our lives a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God. Your service, yes, God wants you to serve him. In this body, in your home, in your place of work, in our society, God wants you to serve him. But what God desires from you and me is a never-ending cycle I pray that you don't just pass this off as some just some high thought. God wants from you and me a never-ending cycle of recognizing and realizing the goodness of God and responding to that very same goodness with thanksgiving. And in that cycle, it's where our lives as Christians is expected to be lived. And Asaph says, don't you realize that if you'll live there, if you'll live there, you will have so much joy in walking with the Lord. Thanksgiving won't be something that's just on a calendar. Thanksgiving will become a way of life. And I believe as we look at this week of Thanksgiving, it could be very, very easy for us to just to, okay, well, we do our rote, let's gather around the table, let's say things we're thankful for. listen, God says, don't just offer the sacrifice. Hit sustain on that pedal and let that ring through the rest of your life. A never-ending cycle. And I don't know about you, but I need God's help with this because I don't, I don't always live here. Probably if we're really honest, we could all say, yeah, if I was sitting in the crowd as Asaph... Spoke this to the Israelites. It would have hit me. And Pastor, it hits me today. We're in good company. And thankfully, he already told us to call upon him when we're in trouble. (laughs) So could I encourage you this morning with all this going on in your heart? Would you call unto him? God, I, I want this for my life. I want this for my family. I want this for our church. Would you bow with me? And let's, let's talk to God. I ask you the question, are you enjoying your relationship with God? Has it lost its satisfaction? Can you remember back to a time where your relationship with God blessed you more than it does now? Have you become formalistic? I do my thing, I, I do the right thing, Pastor. I have the right convictions, the right stand. I do the right things. I, I try to live biblical, but it's just in those acts that you've checked off is that's my worship, but it's compartmentalized that's you this morning, could I just encourage you to run to your heavenly father and plead his forgiveness? I wanna ask, is there anyone here that says, Pastor, I've not yet accepted his deliverance from my sin. And I'm not certain that when I die that I'll spend eternity in heaven. I'm not certain of that at all. And that's troubling me today no one looking around in an attitude of prayer here would you be willing just to say pastor i i have not yet been saved i've not yet been delivered from my sin that's me would you pray for me is there anyone like that here this morning i've not yet been delivered i don't have that confidence that when i die i'll spend eternity in heaven i want you to say pastor i do have that confidence i absolutely do I know, I, I remember back to the day that I heeded the Romans 10 and verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I did call upon him. And he, he was true to his promise. He did save me. And I know for certain, when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven. Can you give that as a testimony today? Put your hand up. Amen. Amen. So many of you. Praise the Lord. So many. Could I encourage you in your, in your mind as you, you sat there and debated, should I put my hand up, should I put it, uh, not put it up? Could I encourage you? If you don't know for certain, this is a decision that has eternal ramifications. You're going to spend eternity, you're not just a body, you're gonna spend eternity somewhere forever. And God wants that to be with him where you enjoy unhindered fellowship with him, total unhindered fellowship with him in his presence. He wants that to be yours today. And I invite you, invite you to know that today. We'll be around after the service and we will certainly take time to show you from the Bible how you can be saved. Believers, I'm going to say God specifically worked my heart and I'm asking God to I'm asking God to help me to enjoy my relationship, not be formalistic, but to enjoy my relationship like Asaph challenged us. God specifically worked my heart, not just generally, but specifically worked my heart. This is my testimony, and with a raised hand, this is my testimony, Pastor. Amen. Who else? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. I'm going to invite you to the altar this morning. Lord, as you've seen the hands of your people, I pray that we we would honor you with responding to your word in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Take time to pray there at your seat or here at the altar. Could you just kneel and say, Lord, I don't want this formalism stuff. I don't want to be guilty of that. I want a a relationship that is just constant enjoyment between me and you, realizing your goodness me returning gratitude for that. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember... You are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.